In this week's episode, Tony sits down with Ashish Kathari, a founder, author, speaker, coach, consultant, most importantly, a husband and father. Ashish is the founder of The Happiness Squad. After spending the first 20 years pursuing happiness through professional and financial success, working harder than others, exceeding their expectations, and trading off self and family, he found himself at the peak of his professional and financial success. But he was not happy or satisfied in the life that he created. He spent the next five years exploring the topic of happiness and human flourishing, reading over 450 books and listening to over 2,000 hours of lectures from thought leaders and formally taking courses in spirituality, ontological coaching, neurosciences and psychology. He turned himself into a living laboratory, continually experimenting with new techniques and practices. He didn't accept anything less unless it worked and made a difference in his life. He then began helping his clients, colleagues, using these techniques he was learning and helping them design organisations where people could operate without fear, show up fully and deliver on high performance, not at the expense of their wellbeing. This chat between Tony and Ashish is one that you'll really enjoy. When I first met Ashish, he was just such a bright character and we knew that we had to get him on the podcast. So we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Okay. Ashish, my friend, great to be chatting to you today and welcome to the Kofkin Bond podcast. Such a pleasure, Tony. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, before we go into your background, uh, Ashish, your, your company is called The Happiness Squad. You're the CEO and founder of The Happiness Squad. And you're in Boulder, Colorado, and I don't know how anyone can live in Boulder, Colorado and not be happy every given, every day. <laughs> Having spent a couple of weeks there a number of years ago, it is one of the most beautiful places in the US, I would suggest. Yeah, we, well, we love it here. And I for sure, you know, we moved here nine years ago, Tony, and it definitely had a huge impact on me. How can you not when you work right under a huge tree? Like my office literally has this huge tree with a, with a bird feeder. So we have birds and squirrels and rabbits, you know, growing up, growing up in India and growing in, and growing up in Chicago in concrete jungles when you're like really with nature at a very different pace. Uh, a lot of different things emerge. Well, Shish, we will get on to that, but you know, I have to admit Chicago is one of my favorite cities in the U.S. as well. I've been there probably 30 times. And yeah, I did a course in Chicago over a three-year period. So I used to go to Chicago once every two months and spend a week there. And I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with the city. So I've been there winter, spring, autumn, and summer. And I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. The winters are cold, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. 18 years we spent in Chicago, Tony. That yeah. was the city that I called home. Uh, in fact, my son still says I live in Boulder, but, you know, I was born in Chicago. He's 13. Yeah. Okay. So well, let's, let's let's talk about your journey because um, you know we've we've gone through your resume and you've worked at Deloitte, you've worked at McKinsey, you know, very structured organisations. Yes. Some of the some of the 
you know, some of the largest organizations in the world, you know, from a consulting perspective and things like that. So you've gone from these names of Deloitte and McKinsey to forming your business called the Happiness Squad, which is very different than you, you would, you would not necessarily think somebody who's had that formal training would actually talk about happiness. You know, when, when we talk about consulting and things like that, it's, you know, it, sometimes it's about the bottom line. But for you to get to where you are, and you are a genuinely unbelievably happy person, can you t- give us a bit of a background of your journey, you know, your story, you know, the story of Ashish from childhood in India through to Chicago uh, to where you are today? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and Tony, as I get into it, I'd also say, right, happiness squad, I get this question all the time. You know, happiness for me, by the way, is is the work we are doing is really around integrating the science of happiness and flourishing into our lives so that we can be happier. And I make this distinction between joyfulness versus joy. Joy is an emotion. It's a temporary state, right, that we experience all along. And I experienced all along that, and I'll talk about my journey and how I had amazing moments of joy. But it goes away. Joyfulness as a state is around being joyful regardless of what's happening out there and and truly meeting the world from a very different place internally. A lot more place of openness, a lot more place grounded in our meaning and what gives us why, you know, grounded in a fundamental place of interbeing with the world. Um, so all of that. But, you know, my journey started as many traditional middle class Indian journeys. I grew up in India. My father was in banking in the Reserve Bank of India. My mother was a teacher. She was a Ph.D. in mathematics. And, um, you know, I grew up with a very simple story. Either you're number one or you're a failure. Right. Um, perfection. It has to be the best. And even though I had the most loving parents who always sacrificed, you know, it's those little things, right? Like, hey, you got a 97 in math, but I know you could do the other three. So the next time, just check and try and see if you can do better. And when you grow up that way or even grow up with the stories of unless you're at your best, you know, you might not get into college and then you won't be able to earn a living. And then what are you going to do? You know, that becomes ingrained into who you are. And I always say, you know, these stories sometimes that can be, they're huge gifts because if I didn't grow up that way, I wouldn't have the drive that I did that took me and enabled me to get into IITs. So I graduated from IIT Bombay, um, you know, one in 100 get in um, of the people who take the exam. You know, there's probably one in thousand who want to get in, but don't even take the exam, right? 990 don't take the exam, 900 don't take the exam. Um, and then, you know, that brought me to, to Chicago. Um, I was in consulting. I got my MBA at Booth that further accentuated work hard to get further away. Uh, and I used to work, like I remember my two and a half years, I was at KPMG in Deloitte and I was doing my MBA part-time, uh, Tony, at Chicago Booth. I mean, I worked 120 hours a week and didn't complain. It was just the way of being. Um, Right. Got into McKinsey, made partner in six years and just kept going up. Um, and that work ethic, working hard, right, just always served me well. And I found myself, Tony, at 42 with everything checked off on we, what we learned. You know, I learned all along my way on all the things I needed to do to be happy and to have a great life. 
You know, I was making more money um, than I needed. I had a phenomenal family. I'd met my wife at McKinsey. Uh, we had fallen in love and we had a four-year-old by that time. My parents were doing great. I've always had amazing friends. I loved my clients. We were driving great impact. I was on my way to make the next step in McKinsey. And uh, everything was great, right? Everything was good. And yet, I was waking up every morning with anxiety. I was waking up with such bad anxiety that many days I felt like I needed to throw up. And I didn't know the reason why. And I'm actually glad I didn't know the reason why. Because if I knew the reason why, I might have heeded the advice of well-wishers who said, hey, you know, go take an anti-anxiety pill. Because then I knew a reason why, right? So, okay, fine, I'll take a pill and then I'll deal with what needs to be dealt with. Or the others who said, you know, go talk to a therapist and they'll help you figure out what's wrong with you. Um, and I was like, no, I don't want to talk through because, again, there is nothing in my past or future that's bothering me. Um, and it was actually the fact Tony, that I didn't know what was making me anxious that was actually making me more anxious. Uh, and so I decided to use my classic structured problem solving, you can do anything you want, you are, you know, approach to solving the question of what was making me anxious. Why was I not flourishing? Why was I not happy? Um, and I went looking for those answers, Tony, in spirituality, psychology, and neurosciences. And what I found basically became the heart of the work I'm doing now. It's It's been quite a journey and to be able to move from that and really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm just going to read back to you something I just wrote down there uh, from what you said. Nothing from the past or the future that is worrying me. And it's interesting because one of, one of my favorite books that I've read and I try to lead uh, my life in a lot of ways like this, although, you know, as a financial planner and people that work in planning and equity and, uh, and also, you know, private equity, et cetera, our job is to always think of the future. But the book was by Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now. Yeah. And to live, and to live in the power of now, that was just such a powerful, powerful book. Now, when I read that book, it was, I probably had that book for around about, 10 years before I actually started reading it. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe eight. Maybe I'm, you know, not giving myself enough credit. Probably bought it in my early thirties. But when I read it was when I was ready to read it, which was actually really interesting. Absolutely. It was when I was probably two to three years into my meditation and my mindfulness journey. Um, I'd gone through a bad marriage breakup. And from that aspect, I realized that I had to make changes in myself for what I had to do to not worry about the future and to not dwell on the past, but to actually live in the now. So your quote there of nothing from the past or the future is worrying me. So what's going on? But it's that living in the now, but being being able to, I've often said that sometimes going to therapy, they're trying to find stuff that drag up from your past that isn't there. And, yes. and, it's, and it's talking, even if it is there, they're dwelling on negativity. They're dwelling on yep. negative things that have happened in the past. But once it's happened, it's like, for example, even the few, one of the famous things that I remember from Eckhart Tolle, when, you think, when, the, when you're thinking of the future, when the future happens, it's not the future, it's the now. Yeah. You know, so once something, once, you know, this, and also being present, you and I are talking to each other now, and we're both present talking with each other. So I think that journey, but it's actually finding that way because we do live in a world, and, you know, it's it's like this in Australia too, but I know very much in the US, here's a pill and you'll be fine. Now go back and work your 100 hours weeks. 
100 hour weeks. Now you'll be fine because you'll be happier now because you've taken a pill rather than saying, well, hold on, what do I have to do internally to actually grow? Exactly, exactly. And this notion of being in the present is so absent in our world today. Yeah, that's right. In fact, you know, if you think about it, by the way, and it's a learned trait, Tony, right? Because if you look at kids, anybody and a younger kid, you don't need to teach a kid to be present. They are fully present with what they're doing. They're actually, you don't need to teach a kid also to be happy. Kids in general are happy unless something happens to them. You know, they fall down, they're hungry, they're they're nappy. They're happy. And, you know, along the way, we live completely distracted lives. You know, on average, people check their phone 360 times a day. Um, And uh, we need something to happen to be happy. Go on a vacation, get married, fall in love, get promoted, get a raise. So we lose that state, you know, as we grow up. And, uh, you know, given, you know, the role of egos and kind of the world that we're playing, which is, by the way, what I found, Tony, right, which is uh, which was kind of the insight I got from my research, um, which was really, you know, one of the big drivers behind so much suffering at an individual level and so much suffering at a world level, you know, that we are creating was all coming, Tony, from a fundamental disconnect that we individually and collectively in organizations experience. And that disconnect is that the world we have created is more complex than our ability to handle it. And this is not just Ashish saying it. I discovered this reading through the research on adult development theory done at Harvard by Robert Keegan, Leahy, Jennifer Garvey Berger, and so many others who highlight this disconnect. And by the way, Einstein said this way back when. He said, you can't solve problems with the same level of consciousness that created them. Yes, a beautiful saying, yep. And that is what we are experiencing. The world is more complex. And when we are at a lower level of complexity, what ends up happening is the following. We try and control something from a much lower developed stage. And because we can't, we get triggered, right? We face, we get worried, we get anxious, we get fearful, we get, we face threats, which are evolutionary brains that are driven by fight, flight, freeze, they can't differentiate between physical threats and emotional threats or threats to our identity, right? And so we are constantly running on this adrenaline and cortisol. Our bodies can't take that either because cortisol is incredibly corrosive. And so what do we do? You know, we numb ourselves, whether we take drugs, whether we take food, whether we do Netflix, some people use porn, whatever. We try and numb ourselves into keep moving on. And which is, you know, and when we live in that fear, Tony, like what ends up happening also is, think about it. When you are afraid, you're not solving for the other. You're solving for yourself and those you love. When you're afraid, you're not solving for the future. You're solving for what you need now. When you're afraid, you're not seeing the world as an abundant place, a safe place. You're seeing the world as a scary place and a scarce place. And we get close, you know, we don't see the world in a bit and lose our ability to take perspectives. 
And that was the heart, actually, of, you know, what I had been experiencing and what I identified as kind of the core reason behind why, for the first time, Tony, we are living at a time where individually stress, anxiety, exhaustion, burnout is at an all-time high, but also collectively we have a crisis in every scale. Think about it. Humanitarian, ecological, economic, political, we are tearing each other apart, polarized. You know, countries are polarized, more and more right and left. You know, as countries, across countries, we are kind of at each other's throats. Um, and it all comes from this fundamental, what I call hardwiring for fear. Yeah. That has gone awry. Yep. That's how, you know, so that's what I did. But I think I also social life. media, it's just, just a, sorry to interrupt there. I actually think social media has exasperated this quite a lot as well. Absolutely. Especially amongst the young. It's like, oh, look what I'm missing out on, how happy their life is. Why isn't my life this happy? Or, you know, how how can he or she afford to buy that car? And a car doesn't make you happy. Or it might for, it might for 48 exactly. hours. At the end of the day, it's just getting you from A to B. And everyone seems to be this, this through social media now, this entirety of about comparison and comparison. And this is my tribe. So whatever my tribe says or whatever the leader of my tribe says must be true. And I'm not going to think for myself anymore. And I think, and I think that's one of the saddest things that has actually happened with social media. And as a result, maybe our generation is not as into it as much but it still seems to be getting as tribal and tribal and all the way through and causing so much anxiety and so much unhappiness in the world as a result. Absolutely. In fact, you know, for the first time ever, this is the other big first time in the first times. You know, first times ever should be good things, not worse. First time ever, the if you look at the mental health curve, Tony, it's actually inverted. You know, adolescents and teenagers and our younger generations are in a worse place from a mental health point of view than people in their 30s. You know, 30s to 50s used to be the low point. Most people struggled, hence the midlife crisis. You know, when you get older, you're fine. As children, you were fine. Not anymore. More and more middle schoolers and, you know, high schoolers and teenagers and colleges are struggling exactly because of what you're highlighting. And then there is this other effect, which is even more dangerous for our world, which is news is no longer news. Oh, it's horrible. I actually don't it's watch it now. It's, I actually don't have a normal TV uh, to watch news at home anymore. Uh, if I watch TV, I'm watching Netflix or Stan and something that I choose to watch. I do not watch news anymore. It is horrendous. Right? Yeah. And there's, a, there's a saying, also, which I'm sure you've heard, if it bleeds, it leads. So what story can we do and how can we make this story even worse to suit our narrative? Exactly. And on top of that, when we take that and put it on social media, I'm only going to give Tony things that Tony seems to agree with. So not that's one of the highest reasons of the polarization, too, because you don't even one, as you said, I don't think about the other. But second, I'm constantly consuming and feeling like the whole world is like me because I'm not even seeing the other. And we lose our, we lose our ability and flexibility in our minds to actually, to think, to actually say, do you know what, Ashish? I never knew that. And that actually makes sense. 
we've lost that ability to do that because we're continually fed our narrative and actually our narrative just becomes embedded and embedded and embedded as a result of that. But I, 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 pro- I promised myself today I wouldn't hijack this podcast and talking with you as she's. <laughs> so, um, no, but, but that, is, yeah. that is true. No, but it's a beautiful point you bring in, Tony. But it was this insight. And if you look at people out there, right, I mean, there were so many who people say, go do this, go do this, go do that. And my insight was, it's actually because we are 8 billion people taking action from a place of fear. If we need to have a planet left for our future generations that is hospitable, the planet will be fine. We'll be extinct and then the next species will arise. But if we want to leave the planet hospitable for our children, I had to be part of the solution to at scale help people rewire brains away from fear into what I decided to call happiness. Well, let, but can uh-huh. we talk? Can we talk about that? I think that's a wonderful segue. The Happiness Squad. Your your work is helping people like me who run organisations and people who work in organisations. My wonderful, amazing colleagues who I just love. I, I feel honoured to come and see them from Monday to Friday on a daily basis. You know, it's. But the your job is to actually help us and we're different generations i mean i've got some people working here who are younger than my own children um and so we are of different generations but your work is actually and we were chatting about this on monday with each other when i was a 17 18 year old starting work it was very hierarchical you know you'll have that boss who is a sort of sergeant major and it's um and then their boss is a, is their general and it's it's just it was very hierarchical in that aspect whereas nowadays it seems to be more People want to work for a purpose and a reason, uh, which I think is wonderful rather than just having a job and being promoted because your boss died. You know, it's, you know, which was the, that's how you got up yeah. the ladder eventually. So, so from that aspect, can you tell us a bit about the happiness squad and the work you do with organizations, with leaders and with, and with their work colleagues? Absolutely. And let me first start by saying happiness squad. Happiness is human performance, right? If you look at any research individually, I'm a big believer in that. If you don't experience and it's real, don't worry about the scientific research. All the work we do is informed by spirituality, but inspired by spirituality, but informed by research. Unless it is scientifically proven, that's my McKinsey, I don't want to bring it to clients. You want to do something of your own because you believe God bless you, go do it. But what I want to share with organizations, individuals is evidence that is grounded in psychology and neurosciences, right? So we support organizations in two fundamental ways, Tony. One, we run programs that help whole teams build habits that help them be happier. And it's a distinction between happy versus happier. Happy is an emotional state. Happier is no matter where you are, you can be happier and more joyful to experience. And we do that by a set of micro practices that are five minutes or less that teams can do together, which are about working differently. So it's about not doing new things, but about doing things we already do differently so that we can be happier, healthier and have more love and meaning individually. And that's really powerful because when we drive these interventions, it's quite different from every well-being program out there. 
you know, well-being programs say go do meditation or go eat well or go do this and that. And I'm like, we're not running gyms. We're not running spas. We're not running therapy clinics at offices, right? We come here to work. Let's, it's our work that oftentimes make us sick or leaves us uninspired. So how or do we suffering actually, anxiety. Or suffering anxiety, right? Mm. So how do we integrate these interventions into how we work? So we flourish as a result of how we work and how we engage. So I, we do that work individually. But we know from all the research that we've been doing, as well as a recent report came out from McKinsey Health Institute, you know, what drives health, Tony, versus what causes burnout, completely different. What causes exhaustion and burnout are mostly related to team and job, not individual. And so a lot of work we do is around helping people, leaders and middle managers fundamentally lead their teams differently. And we help them lead their teams through five key skills that we help them embed. And they will resonate with you and your listeners, because just for a moment, think about your high point. Think about when you were operating at your best, doing amazing work. And notice how many of these were present for you. Because these don't require you to have an easy 35-hour job. Even if you're working 60, 70 hours in those high moments, you will find these are present. First, there was, per, there was a real personal meaning tied to what you were doing. It was meaningful beyond earning a paycheck, right? It mattered, and you mattered. So purpose, the first P. Second P, E, energizing. You were probably working in a team which you found net energy creating versus energy draining. You were appreciated. People felt valued. You were, you know, you experienced kindness. You also had conflicts, but you had conflicts where you could debate ideas and create better answers versus tear each other down. Right? Yes, they were debates, not 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 ripping into people. Not exactly, and we were debating ideas fight. versus debating, you know, and yeah, we were beating up ideas, not beating up people. So E, energy. Third, awareness. You continuously got feedback to get better, which was grounded in your strengths. Not telling you, hey, Tony, all this is great, but here's the things that you're not doing well. You know, you also stepped back and were having conversations, entertaining multiple perspectives on a problem that was not that easy to solve. Awareness. R was about relationships. You felt psychologically safe. What do I mean by that? You could say what was on your mind. You could offer your ideas without feeling this person is going, like, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to look stupid. He's going to think less of me. There was a fundamental trust and love and respect for each other that you didn't ever worry about that. And the last, even though you might have been working for extremely long periods, you were also having fun along the way. Stress was an ally, not something that left, to, left you burnt because there was no period of coping with them. So this is what we do, like this, these things, but we don't always experience them. And this is at the heart of the crisis of flourishing that we are experiencing at work. And it is my conviction uh, that if you really did the math, Tony, 
we are working harder than ever, you know, in our organizations. Most leaders are working harder than ever. They're on a 9 to 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 when I ask them. But we are only operating at 30% of our full potential individually and collectively because these five elements are missing. People show up, they don't find meaning in what they're doing, so you just get their arms and legs, not their hearts. Ashish, it's interesting you say that because I'll have a dozen or more colleagues in here will back me up on this comment. I just came back from a month overseas and it was amazing. We decided to, for this trip to go to places that we had never, neither of us had ever been to before. So went to Egypt, went to Greece, went to Dubai and it was just eye-opening, sensational and amazing, amazing holiday. And what I realized on that holiday was just uh, how burnt out I was before I left. And it was interesting because the number you quoted was exactly what I said. At our first team meeting in here after we come back from holidays, I just spoke up and I said, guys, I just want to apologize to all of you because if before I went on holidays, I was working back working long hours. I never work a weekend because that's my time and that's family time. And um, I realized I was working 12 hours days again, but I was only working to 30% capacity. And that was the exact number I quoted, which meant, realistically, if I was working at 70% capacity, I probably could have got everything done in an eight-hour day. Yes. But the thing was, I was just so burnt out and I wasn't enjoying it. So I just want to apologize to all of you if I was a grumpy old man prior to going, prior to going <laughs> overseas, because I'm very much full of enthusiasm and energy, like you get, like I've just taken a glucose tablet right now. So it's, so from that aspect. And, but then I also said to them, don't ever wear it as a badge of honor thinking you have to work 12, 13, 14 hour days. And I made the comment. We are not uh, a law firm that expects 15 hours days. If I send you something on a weekend, you must respond. Your weekend is your time. Uh, I don't expect you to be doing these things. And from that aspect, I don't want you to think that I'm going to say, wow, this person's amazing for working 15 hours a day because I am taking your time away from you if I'm doing that. And that's not right. Can I say something? Yeah. In, in your profession, right, as well as in even professions like law firms and consulting, especially the, all these professional services, cons- uh, for, you know, um, professions, the nature of the work that we're doing is all cognitive. Yeah. Right? It's all cognitive. Your clients give you money for you, for your creativity and innovation to help them grow. Right. If we are not able to be more creative and more innovative because we are operating at our best, we will all be outsourced to AI or to some or algorithm. 100% correct. Right? And so that's where I think even this, you know, with lawyers too, right? Like people working 15 hours, you're not even thinking clearly. You're in a brain fog. How are you serving the client charging the hours that you do? I'd rather... You spend less time and thought more creatively around saying the story with consultants. And I lived this for 25 years. I could see just in the eyes and how long people thought and how they spoke. You know, you show up on a Monday at, by the way, this is the crazy thing for places which have this continuous hours. Most people show up on Monday, Tony, on Monday morning, like they show up on Monday. They're already at 60%. That's right. Why? Because it doesn't, you can sleep all weekend. You're not going to recover your sleep debt from the week. We know that from neuroscience. 
right? And anyway, then you woke up, you know, some Monday, you took a 6 a.m. flight, you showed up at 10, bleary-eyed with two cups of caffeine. You're at 60, 70%, right? By the time Thursday rolls in, right, and then you've done an all-nighter on Tuesday, or maybe you were up till 1 because everybody was, and of course, you were up till 1 because you wanted to go out and have dinner and drinks with your colleagues and clients, and that was great, but you were still up till 1, uh, or two. So by the time Wednesday night or Thursday rolls in, most people are at 20%, right? And here are clients writing $1,000 checks, $1,000 an hour, 2000 5000 and they're getting 20% of the creativity, the innovation, strategic thinking. All you're getting is a bunch of slides and Excels. That's right. right. Exactly right. Yep. And I'm like, we would never get in a plane, Tony, if the pilot didn't have enough sleep or, you know, wasn't well. I don't know why we accept that in our workplaces, in our professions. Absolutely. One of the things, um, when I was telling you I was doing a course in Chicago, it was called the Dan Sullivan Strategic Coach Course. And the very first subject that he teaches you in that course is called the Entrepreneurial Time System. And the Entrepreneurial Time System was, you know, once again, don't wear that badge of honor thinking 20 hours a day is what you have to do. But what it did was it broke down your days into three concepts, 24-hour time periods, uh, which was either a free day, uh, a focus day, or a buffer day. And you might note that I mentioned free day first. And the big thing he did to a room full of entrepreneurs who were dentists and lawyers and financial planners and accountants, etc., was he said, you're going to plan your free days uh, 365 days in advance and nothing can take their place. They are not negotiables. And one of the things that came out of that for me was a free day to start with should be a Saturday and a Sunday. You do not think work. There's a 24-hour period on a free day where you do not think work, read about work, do work, um, etc. That is your time to free up your mind, to, regener- to regenerate your energy levels, to be able to give a higher capacity when you're at work. And the focus day was a 24-hour time period where all you're doing is focusing on your high-level tasks. So in other words, uh, you actually no micromanaging and you delegate the $2 an hour jobs because why are you doing that if you're charging yourself out of $1,000 an hour as an example? And so what actually came from that as well is I gave myself a lot more free time, but there were a few non-negotiables. We planned our holidays a year in advance. Uh, weekends were devoted to the family. Um, also, too, as an example, if either of my children had a sporting event on, I would never miss it. I will be at that sporting event. That's what being self-employed gave me that flexibility to be able to do that. But at the same time, any of my work colleagues in here who have children, I expect them to do exactly the same. Because you know what? I know that they will give me their commitment to do the work that has to be done, but you do not miss your son or daughter's grade five athletics carnival. Whether they are a great athlete or just they're having fun and competing in the egg and spoon race, it does not matter. They're the things that are the most important things that could happen. And, and that was a great course for me because what happened was when I turned up on Monday, I could get more done on a Monday because I was at 85 to 90% capacity. By the time Wednesday came around, they were my buffer days, my admin days. And you know why? Because my energy levels were down. I could just use my brain to get everything done, no interruptions, everything got done. Thursday, my energy level cup had filled up a bit where I could actually focus on clients again. And then Friday was my day with my work colleagues and staff on training. And it was just breaking the days down to that. I ended up working less hours, earning far more money and and being far happier 
you know, having that happiness in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Uh, I love that, Tony. I'm going to give you two more things that I invite you to add to your routine. And I invite the listeners to. They're proven by science. They're proven by experience. The first is, let's redefine retreats. Retreats are great. Vacations are great. But let's think about retreats as retreats. Opportunities to treat ourselves again every day. And how do we do that? One, let's give ourselves five one-minute breaks throughout the day. Yeah, really powerful. How do we do that? Well, a very simple way is to take five deep breaths. We close our eyes, plant our feet, and just follow our breath, breathing in and making them deeper and exhales longer. What we are doing, dear friends, when you do that, is you're giving your parasympathetic system a chance to catch up to your sympathetic and regulate everything down. Your focus will increase, your level of stress and exhaustion would go down, and you will end the days with more energies. Now, I invite you to start in a minute, but if you can do it for five minutes, five times, you will be untouchable because you'll notice that much more clarity. Right. So retreat yourself. That's the one, which is you retreat yourself throughout the day. The second one that I would invite you to do is every day, every day. It doesn't matter what your job is. Every day. And it doesn't matter if you're at home, right? You're a home homemaker. You're taking care of your kids. It doesn't matter. Every day, find at least five minutes to do something you really love. Something that you really love for yourself, not for the other. You know, we live in a world which is so oversubscribed and we are giving, 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 giving to work, giving to family, giving to kids, giving to spouse, giving to friends. And we just, you know, we miss out. We we miss out on the journey. In or, giving to, or, giving, or giving to social media and not actually scrolling and rather than spending that what you think is five minutes scrolling which is 45 minutes scrolling actually doing something for ourselves that we love ourselves that's it not comparing to what others did but just for yourself it can be playing a piano painting reading taking a hot bath you know giving yourself just a gentle hug whatever it is that nourishes you, that you love, do that. And that retreating will increase the force you have every day. Absolutely. Ashish, in closing, um, a couple of things I'd like to ask. First of all, for our Australian, we actually do have a lot of listeners from the US as well. Um, but from um, uh, for our Australian clients, can they still reach out to you with the Happiness Squad? Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be a pleasure. You can reach out to me directly, ashish at happinessquad.com. We'll yeah, and we'll put the links on to this as well. So yeah. thank you for that. Um, secondly, it's a case of what is it on the, a given day that makes Ashish happy in what he does in life? Well, totally. You are, and I say that knowing that you are genuinely one of the happiest and loveliest people <laughs> who always has a smile on their face. And to our mutual friend Anna Reid, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, but Ashish, what is it that actually drives you and makes you happy uh, on a daily basis? 
Yeah. Beautiful question, Tony. You know, for me, it is literally what I do the first thing in the morning. I wake up. And as I wake up, my first thought goes to the fact that I'm alive. We're, we're twins. We're, we're, just, we're, we're, we're brothers from a different mother. I say exactly the same thing. I wake up and say, I'm still here. I've still got, I'm 54, so I've still got at least 51 years to go. How wonderful is this? Right. That's it. Yeah. And every, and then every, everything is amazing because it's an opportunity to make a difference. I have the choice. One more day. Right. Yeah. So that's it. That is what brings me joy. That's what keeps me smiling. Ashish, you are a beautiful, uh, a beautiful man and an amazing friend. Thank you so much for today and sharing everything that you have. Really sincerely appreciate it. Our listeners are going to get a lot out of this as well. As I said, you and I are very much on the same wavelength <laughs> in a lot of things we actually do. And I'm looking forward to our uh, long weekend conversation one day in the future in Boulder because it is one of the happiest places on earth I've ever been to. So it's well, uh, thank, thank you, you so Tony. much for your time, Ashish. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Such a joy. Wonderful. Okay. The Kofkin Bond Podcast is a product from Kofkin Bond & Co., which we are an authorized representative of Kofkin Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of the Kofkin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.